0: Welcome to Canucks Central, coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Canuck Central, brought to you by Grip Auto & Tire. Quality service you can trust, 14 locations to serve you. Your destination for everything, Canucks. A lot going on today with a, a different cast of characters. Bic Nazar and Israel Fair filling in for Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. I guess you're the Sat Shah in this scenario. That's so why I grew out the beard. Yeah, that's that's literally why. Uh, Sat's down today. I'll be back uh, hopefully tomorrow. Uh, Dan's obviously away this week, but we're here with you. We'll still do the Friday mailbag, uh, incorporate a couple of things uh, from the People Show as well late uh, in the show. We'll do Big Six and the Friday Football Preview. So it's kind of a mixed bag today, but we will still have your mailbag coming up at 5 o'clock and plenty of Canucks things to get into Uh you know, it was a question I posed to Cheech yesterday. If you go back and listen on the podcast, uh, always rate and rescribe, subscribe on whatever podcatcher you are on and every, get every post game show as well on the podcast feed. But something I did want to talk about with you uh, as well, the Canucks, they're entertaining no doubt. So many goals in every single game, not just goals for, but goals against. Uh, it, it's If you're just a fan... A generic hockey fan, forget even a Canucks fan, just a generic hockey fan and you are in in some game late at night and you just want goals. Tune on the Vancouver Canucks game, you will see goals. But is it enjoyable to watch? Because if you're a Canucks fan, that's frustrating. The constant stress of, are they going to get back into this game? They do get back into this game. Can they hold on to the lead? It's constantly volatile and chaotic. Uh, we'll get into that later on in the show. Uh, and we'll pitch it to Yannick Hansen, who again will join us in about a minute here. So we'll 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 I, I know there's a lot of people uh, who are reacting to a clip. We're we're not gonna wait to talk <laughs> about it with Yannick Hansen. We're gonna get into it right away, uh, with him. The Zidane Chara clip. What was your initial reaction when you saw this?
1: My initial reaction was that I didn't believe it
0: happened. Not for a second. I didn't think it happened.
1: That was my first thought. And then my second thought was, if that's the motivation that you needed down 2-0 in the Stanley Cup Final to win... I was curious what happened in the conference finals Mm -hmm. and in the second round and in the first round because apparently that was the one that was a bridge too far and and, and got the Bruins fired up to win. Uh, And look, it also made me reminded me, I suppose, that there are a lot of people outside of this market who
0: don't have fond memories of that 2011 Canucks team. I, I generally subscribe to that logic, too, where if you needed external motivation, look, the, the, there's going to be snippets of it, of course, but if, if you don't recognize the stakes to fuel your motivation, things that happen outside of your own bubble aren't, aren't really going to push you. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's nice fodder. It's nice conversational fodder. But generally speaking, if, if that's what you needed, I don't look at that and say – that's the thing that pushed you over to the top. Right.
1: I mean, we, we just saw it with Canada at the World Cup. 100 And Croatia. Croatia and I, I, I don't know what Brazil said today to, to fire up Croatia to to, yeah. to get them through to, to the semifinals. Um, but yeah, I, 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 we were joking about it before the show. I, 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 we were trying to, you, okay, so which hypothetical Canucks player would have been the one practicing or the group? And like, you immediately go, there's no way the Sedins would have ever done that. So then I said, as a joke to you, this reminds me of Michael Jordan in the last dance. I think LeBradford Smith yeah. was the guy nice on the mark. ice
0: practicing. Nice game, Mike. Uh, okay, so if you don't know what clip we're talking about, this is the clip uh, from Zdeno O'Chara talking on a podcast with Julian Edelman. Uh, here's the
2: clip. We saw players from Vancouver coming on the ice in the garden, and they were actually practicing how they would be lifting the cup and handing off the cup to each other and we found out wow. about these things and we were like like we are not gonna allow this happen you know mm-hmm. it just it just feels
0: so that's zidane Chara. and again even just the way it's described we saw and we found out uh well let's uh let's find out from a member of that 2011 Vancouver Canucks team, longtime Vancouver Canuck and former NHLer Yannick Hansen, who joins Canuck Central every Friday inside brought to you by Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford in Port Coquillab and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. Yannick, uh, you've heard that clip. So did it happen? I have
2: now. No, I was, uh, I, I, somebody told me about it yesterday and, uh, you guys asked me if, if I'd seen it and I have seen it now and, and heard it again. Um, again it's not something i recall seeing hearing about in any way we 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 didn't we didn't practice uh, lifting the cup in boston after two games um uh, talking about that so yeah, again um he he's putting it out there as they saw they found out I, again it it's hard to really gaze what happened in, in their opinion is it somebody telling them in the room that this happened um I, again i i've had very limited dealing with, with, uh, with Sedeno. I I played with him for, for three weeks, uh, at, um, at the world cup. Um, so he doesn't strike me as one who's, who's lying, um, out of sheer shade of just creating something. So uh, maybe something, someone told him that this happened to fuel them a little bit. They needed a spark. They just lost two. Um, but like I said, I I didn't see any Canucks player doing this. I, I didn't hear about it. Um, it's 12 years ago and this is the first time it's it's ever come to the forefront or been brought up. Um you guys know how it was back then. Mm-hmm. I would assume if somebody had done this on the ice in Boston before game 3 uh, at some practice that it would have come out uh, way earlier cuz like you say is this is bulletin board material. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what you're trying to avoid um so if something like this would have happened we would have heard about it and again i didn't see it i didn't hear about it um this is the first thing i've i've ever been introduced to it so again um he goes on to again obviously talking about we hear about uh, people on the ice and all these things and it, it sparks them as well um again in my opinion you go to game six it's only natural that Vancouver approach the league and say, hey, what are the situations here? Um, if we win tonight, so you're prepared. You fly your wives and girlfriends and families out as well. Um, that's not because saying, like, oh, we're going to win game six. No, you hope for it. You prepare for it, uh, and then they're there. It's, it's, again, it's one of those things that adds to that series, um, but, but in no way is that in a way to disrespect boston or whoever you're playing against that you are bringing your families to to a game six then you know there might be a game seven well it's just happened every team does that um again whatever management does and contact with the league we don't know but like i said something like that is not out of the realm of, of questions of something that happened and i would assume everybody else does that as well
0: there is something to be said as an athlete for for positive visual, positive visual, visualization. You know, was that part of the process at all? Just just personally, just mentally, not physically doing it uh, at, at any point during the course of the season, just picturing that moment.
2: No, I I I don't I don't I don't prepare like that um, in any way. Like I I strap my skate on and I go play a game, right? That's about it um you, you're not envisioning yourself uh, uh obviously when you're little in your basement you're you're playing and you're imagining yourself scoring that goal that, that wins you the game but uh, no you you're not you're not imagining uh, getting that cup handed off to you be, before you're before you do. there i at least i didn't um i, I don't know how others uh, approach it um i, I kind of like to take it uh very very small steps of the way because it it is and you hear this? It is a monumental task. And if you start looking too far ahead, and again, in hindsight, we saw what happened when we started looking too far ahead because we did it the next year when we ran into LA, and we already looking at all oh, conference final, and then we got to get back to where we needed to be. And before we started looking at LA, we were down three nothing. Um, so, so you can't like it's it, you. You got to stay in that moment because like so many things that are. Uh, changing and happening in short orders that, that you start uh, you start letting your mind drift a little bit too far and you're not focused on, on just chipping the puck out in the blue line or getting it in deep, finishing your check.
1: I've heard you, Yannick, talk about um, the, the ob- obvious motivations of sticking around in the NHL and getting that contract and being established in the NHL. Was that always just something that you dealt with in a tangible sense of, Hey, I want to get that next contract. I want to stay with this team. Did you ever on your own personal time have motivations that were beyond something that not quite to the extent of what Chara is talking about? But did you ever use that? We were talking about how Michael Jordan and it came up in the last dance documentary, how he would often come up and almost make up these scenarios to motivate himself to get the job done
2: uh yeah i was never at the same level as these guys so i couldn't take over a game if i wanted to um i kind of just had to stay in my own little bubble and play my game Um, and again you do motivate you because again you do want to stay in the league Uh, and again with the team winning you're being on the team you're doing something right so you winning again will give your your career some longevity there's no question about that Um, and again you want to win once you get a taste of that you want to get back to that because it's like those games when you get into a series the the little matches and within the matches and in between the it's so much more fun don't get me wrong playing in the nhl for 82 games during the regular season is a phenomenal job but but it pales in comparison to the to the playoffs. That that's why you hear guys hunger for it and, and once you've had a little bit of a you just wanna get back as quick as possible and get right back into because it's fun. Like like we enjoy too just as much as fan enjoyed watching it and seeing these series play out it's the same thing in the dressing room like you you having these little chess matches and every day it, it gets streaked, and and use the scouting and all these things that goes into it where you can really dive into a team instead of just oh we're playing these guys tonight another team tomorrow and three days from now we're going to this city um, where when you're uh, locked neck and neck with a team for potential seven games it Built so much more excitement uh, everywhere. Is it unsurprising to hear a clip like that, though? Just, uh, just as an athlete, like, are
0: there moments when you when you have to lie to yourself to try to motivate yourself?
2: Uh, again, it is the same. I, 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 did, I don't know if I had to lie to myself to motivate myself. like, sure. like you do it a lot of different ways. Uh, I'm. Maybe later in my career it was a little bit harder. I wasn't playing in San Jose and like it wasn't as fun we had a good team still but but once you're getting the healthy scratch for the tenth time, you gotta like okay, it might happen here. I might get back in, and you get a chance as a good team and all these things um but but again when 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 I was playing well and I was playing motivation was was not an issue for me for for me it was my abilities that limited me. Um, and again, the the impact that you can have on the game, you, you're going out there, you're trying to do your best and, and improve your team's performance. Um, but, but again, I couldn't say something to myself that would bring me over the top and, and force my way into, okay, Canucks are going to beat the uh, San Jose tonight just because I want to. Uh, so so again, those, those, those conversations in your head, again, I... I you hear it on TV from better players that, that they do this and they can do this, and then you see it. Um, but again, for me, it, it was never really a reality.
0: Uh, you mentioned there just a minute ago about uh, the, the year after and, and looking ahead. Um, what kind of goes into that moment of, of trying to look ahead? Is it just, hey, we think we can get there, and, and just being so confident? Or was there a moment where you felt like the, the
2: group maybe waned its, its, its attention on L.A.? we we had we won the presidents trophy again and we were in the playoff with two and a half months to go we had already secured our spot um uh, i think it was presidents trophy again um and like we've had some really really intense battles the year before um Going through Chicago, obviously, San Jose was always a thorn in our side as well. And then, obviously, Boston turned out to be the biggest rivalry of them all that we hadn't anticipated. Um, So we wanted to get back to some of that again. And, again, when you start game one of the playoffs, it almost was a law like we got to get through this first and and second round. Let's get into a conference final here. And then we can really – then it will all start ramping up and it starts feeling like – that feeling we had in the, in the playoff against Boston from, from game one and that we all remembered. Um, And like I said, uh, uh, by the, by the time we we realized we were in a series, uh, we we were down three, nothing. and, And, it was really, really hard to to cling our way back. Yeah, we win Game Four. Game Five is is in overtime again. If we if we win Game Five, we go into to LA for Game Six, and it's probably a different series. But again, once you're down three nothing, you you leave yourself no margin for errors. And again, all that it requires is a shot that goes in, or somebody's having a, an off night, or somebody on the other team having a great night, and and then you're out because you use those lifelines. So carelessly I'd almost say because um, again it wasn't really that intensity and that like oh shit we might be out of, out of this uh, be- before it was too late and we were still again clinging to okay Dan- Danny Sedin he's, he's going to be ready from-, from game one then he wasn't ready for game one. Oh well he'll, he'll be back and-, and then we'll be all right and by the time he- he's-, he's back again we're-, we're so deep into it and, and it just played out in-, in a way where we couldn't recover. What do you remember about the West that year? Uh, because it
0: was—I I think
2: Arizona made it. Eleven or twelve?
0: It, sorry, what was uh, uh twelve, like the, the the year versus the Kings, right? Because it was yeah. it was Phoenix made it, and uh, obviously LA. But did you feel like it was a down year? Because Chicago, I think, was also at at like a hundred points. Uh, as well that year and it was you a feel much
2: like... much much it was i was i, I, I remember us I looking back and we saw when la did this i was like why could why could right we the new, and new jersey in the final instead of boston like it's, it was one of those and again their conference final was against a phoenix team that had overperformed by yeah a, a large margin as well um that being said la did beat the president's trophy winner Uh, Eight against one in their first round series, um, us obviously being that team. Um, But again, when we look at L.A.'s path um, through that and then look at our own, like you were a little bit envious at what they had to go through versus us. Um, And again, again, maybe it was just they they were built right at that point. So they cruised through the playoffs without any real adversity. I believe they lost four or five games max that year as well um so so it, it was a completely different animal where both us and boston have been we've been through uh two two obviously game game sevens and boston was through three i believe um so it was a whole nother uh, path to the final for the teams to get in there um so yeah it, it, you do look back and you're like, okay if if only we would have gotten through la then it would have looked a lot, e- lot easier for us as well. But again, it, it's pure speculation because obviously those LA teams were tremendous and they did it a couple of years later, so it wasn't a fluke. Um, but but again, it, it again it just leaves you longing because um, we all like we we obviously wanted to win, and it's the one thing none of us uh, did do or got to do afterwards either. Um, and it, and it's the one thing that kind of immortalizes you a little bit because once you're a champion, well nobody nobody can ever take that away from you. It sticks with you for the for the rest of your life and beyond. Um, but but until you get there, you're you're only almost there.
1: Shifting to uh, a topic that's uh, made some news in Vancouver this week, it's uh, Luke Shen and kind of his future uh, when his agent is tweeting out that uh, you know he's kind of the perfect deadline acquisition with a, a list of bullet points for, for why that is. Uh, I'm curious from someone who was in the game for such a long time and ultimately did get to that point in his career where the deadline move was something that that was a reality what what is that what is that like for a player where here we are we're not even at Christmas yet, and there's talk of what's Luke Shen's future going to be? Should the Canucks move him and try to get him to come back in the off season? what kind of market is there out there for him uh, what like what's the what's the vantage point from the, the player dealing with that?
2: yeah, for me, it was twofold uh, I, I didn't want to leave Vancouver. I had a really good spot um, we liked it here family family did phenomenally here and all those things it was a safe spot um uh, well on the ice as well so so i didn't want to leave um but again as as soon as you get traded uh and like that thing kind of realized and like okay shit, shit, this happened and and this is real now i'm not a canuck anymore and they're revoking my work permit i'm not even supposed to be in canada anymore and, and all these things um you start looking at San Jose, and again, it was a phenomenal opportunity for me. The team was so good. They came from having just lost to Pittsburgh in the finals the year before. And again, I wanted to win still. I would have preferred to win the Vancouver, obviously. But but again, the second best thing for me was to win somewhere else. And to me, that became, it didn't really matter. Just when you're trading me, Jim, trade me somewhere where I can win. Right. Um, and again, San Jose was one of those teams. Again, injury luck happened that, that both Couture and, and Jumbo went down with uh, some nasty injuries right before playoffs started and played at about 60%, if you will, or 70 Um So, so not a full tilt. And obviously that wasn't something that, that we could overcome at that point either. Um, but again, the opportunity... It shifts from one second to the other. I remember skating around um, against Detroit um, in warm-up, thinking, okay, this might be my last game here. I'm, I'm going to enjoy it because uh, I might get traded here, I think it was a day or two before the deadline, and step off warm-up, and, and Willie calls me aside and say, hey, I, I don't know where you're going, but, but I'm pretty sure something is happening, so you're, you're not playing tonight. So I didn't even get to play that game. Um, so again, there, there's obviously a lot of feelings that goes through there at that moment um but like i said once uh once that's settled you get home and again you you get uh, get a chance to a fresh perspective on things and now all of a sudden i go from having a month and a half left of the season for sure here because playoffs probably isn't an option to now i i have a legitimate chance at, at winning the stanley cup again uh, in a matter of a couple hours so again it is it is very two-pronged here because you're, you're leaving something behind that you like being there. I'm assuming for Duke Shen as well that, that he enjoys playing with the Canucks. You made friendships. Uh, you never know if, if you're going to be able to come back or that's it and, and set and then you'll say goodbye to Vancouver forever for now. So, again, it's, uh, uh, there's a lot of feelings going through you.
0: Uh, we saw as well uh, the last game uh, in overtime. JT Miller didn't get to take a shift in overtime. Uh, do you read much into that, or is that just, a you know, and, and Bruce mentioned today, look, he's been one of the best players since arriving, but sometimes he just doesn't have it. Uh, do you read much into him not getting a shift in overtime, or is it just a one of
2: one instance that over a course
0: of a season these things happen?
2: They, they happen, ups and downs. And, again, Vancouver has so many uh, strings to pull on, on up front that, uh, again, you're not relying on, on one or two guys Um and there is no question that he has been supplanted this year. Last year he was the key cog, if you will. Um, but but the way P D is performing right now and playing, uh, Bo is pounding in goals. Um, there there there's another couple up there uh, as well that that uh, what do you say um, can demand that ice time and those positions. And again, you have. A couple right after that. That if if they're on that night, uh, there's no harm done by by throwing them out there instead because they ton of skill, ton of speed, uh, and, and have shown that they can score goals as well. So you you have some more option to to use this year for sure. Uh,
0: before we let you go, one last one here because um, they're, they're playing these high octane games. It's seven six, it's six five, and and they're going to overtime against you know so, some some low level teams right now. Are they, like, it's obviously entertaining to watch for fans, but do you find it enjoyable watching this team? Because they can be frustrating at the same time.
2: Well, it, it, that's that's two-pronged as well, because it's entertaining to watch on TV instead of a 2-1 hockey game that's boring. But again, you, you need to be able to win 2-1 hockey games on a consistent basis, because once the playoffs start, it will not look like that. So if you're expecting to be able to score four five, six goals Come playoff times, well, you you're gonna be disappointed, and it's gonna be a quick one. Um, but it is entertaining, and, and again, it uh, it keeps fans in their seat. Uh, it keeps people tuning into games. So there's no question that that you can be entertained by this. Um, you gotta find a way to, uh, and it's okay to play these games. Don't get me wrong, um, but 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 you gotta you gotta be able to play the other style as well. Um, so when your offense aren't clicking. Um, well, then you got to find a way to shut down teams as well.
0: Yannick, uh, we appreciate it as always. Enjoy the weekend. Uh, we'll connect soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, Yannick. Yannick Hansen joining us here, a longtime NHLer and former Vancouver Canuck as well. And uh, no surprise. Didn't happen.
1: Just when you thought that series had run out of potential. Oxygen, yeah. yeah,
0: like that series
1: is incredible. I know it obviously hits very close to home here mm-hmm. for obvious reasons, um, but... Outsiders always say, uh, talking to people around the league, Mm -hmm. that series was for the drama, for everything that played out, one of the the all-timers. And here we are, like Yannick said, a decade later, and new quote-unquote revelations are coming out about the the rivalry between those two teams. And, And to his point,
0: if that had happened in this age, yeah. Now, cell phones, all that sort of stuff, like someone would have captured video. You would
1: think, because that's a public practice yeah. with tons of like you know, the most reporters and the most media presence out a practice of any game. I'm not
0: disputing that people told Bruins players. That seems hey, plausible. That's like that I'm sure happened. And hey, fire up a bunch of guys and And there there are stories on.
1: that have been out there about uh, you know, management at the time and, and, sure. and rest. Like, but, like, that's the thing. Like, it, it wouldn't have come here. We are, but remember December 2022. And yeah. Zadino Chara, one of the most famous players in NHL history, is on a podcast saying, like, for the first time, he's the one revealing this.
0: Do you remember, <laughs> like, uh, Canucks Wild? Yes. Of Way course. back when. Todd Bertuzzi. Todd Bertuzzi. That was like instant. That became public. Instant. Talking eleven years later here, So nearly good. twelve years later, it's like oh yeah. By the way, one other thing: it's uh, maybe the Canucks uh were were <laughs> mimicking lifting the Stanley Cup twelve years later. It is uh, it, it made for a fun
1: hour for, on Twitter yesterday, for
0: sure, for sure. And apparently, Kevin Bieksa uh, is going to address it on yeah. Hockey Night in Canada
1: tomorrow. But there I, you go. I hope from- he goes full heel, like does the Stephen A. Smith looks right into the camera. <laughs>
0: you do not want to make an enemy out of me. Yeah. <laughs> I heard what you said about me, Zadina. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that'll be uh, very fun to look forward to uh, as people are texting. And I can't wait to hear what BX has to say about it tomorrow. Uh, yeah for sure Alright we gotta get out of here uh, for this break We'll be back on the other side though Because I do want to get into a couple of things Yannick talked about there uh, Especially the the trade and, and how he was moved to San Jose And handling a player uh, I want to pitch something by about Luke Shen Should the team leave it up to Luke Shen Coming back with more Here on Canucks Central On the home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650 In on Canuck Central, brought to you by Grip Auto Entire, quality service you can trust in 14 locations to serve you. Broadcasting live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. Bick Nazar, Israel Fair filling in for. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Today, you can always have your say as well. 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Those guys benched like JT Miller in overtime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here for that. Here for that. <laughs> They'll be back performing. They've been the best. best players since Bruce got here. <laughs> yeah, Bruce saying that today. Of the 80 some games he's been there. Uh, 84 now, for Bruce, that JT's been the best player since arriving in Vancouver. First impressions do a great deal for that. Because Elias Pettersson basically went six weeks right. in a funk. And he, he 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 had to shed that part and then get to the, the level that we see him at, where he's at right now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, an odd statement from uh, Bruce today.
1: Do you think he would have said that if... Maybe he just views goalies differently, but if Thatcher Demko was
0: something close to what he was last year? Well, the thing is- He's always been very pro-Miller. yeah. I mean, just through the minute usage, he's very pro-Miller. And and the organization's obviously committed to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's honestly like the first time since Bruce has arrived that you could look at and say, oh, not that he's in the doghouse, but it's one of the only times you could say, hey, Bruce is- punishing JT Miller or one of your favorite words accountability there you go omitting JT from the OT lineup was I guess the first time you would see Bruce you know I guess having a level of account accountability for someone's Mm -hmm. play yeah Pass, pass them over but as he did say like he's been our best player I think that's got more to do with the duration of consistency for JT just because it's like raw, the raw point totals. The raw points, and we, we know that you know Bruce does value just the raw point totals. He'll, sure. he'll put up with a lot if you're producing. Yeah. And JT, uh, for, for all the uh consternation from fans of oh JT does this, JT does that, what well, the points are there. And yeah, and, even,
1: and last year when they were in a quote unquote playoff chase,
0: he was dominant. He put him ninety nine points last year. Yeah. That probably registers with Bruce Brujo Now, as we were discussing in the bullpen, for me it's Elias Patterson. Same. Demko's probably in that conversation, but Demko's having the start of the season that Patterson had. That yeah. Patterson had. And I don't know if we've seen the prolonged lows with JT like we've seen from Patterson and Demko. Obviously, the opening seven stand out. That's small. The Pedersen stretch basically went from the beginning of the year to January 16th. Mm-hmm. Bruce was there for six weeks of that. When Bruce took
1: over, uh, the Pedersen situation seemed like it was nearing a crisis, right? Like that was, what is what happened to this yeah. guy? And then over the last near year, it's rectified and he looks like a guy who's a dominant two-way player. It doesn't matter who he's playing with. He's he's setting things up. He's in control. But, yeah, I mean, JT Miller's the – it's, it's kind of one of those things. You see it in other sports. You see it in baseball, for example, where, like, a guy, like, looks the part and you look at the numbers. Like, Eric Hosmer, for example, he was a guy where it's like, hey, like, this guy's a great first baseman. And you look at the numbers, and he put up kind of raw totals, or or Joe Carter, for example, and but they look the part. J.T. Mm-hmm. Miller looks the part. He looks like a guy that should be the best player on a team. He just has he's
0: prone to um, the, the the major gaffes. Yeah, I, I guess there's a difference between like most productive player and talent evaluation of a player. Because mm-hmm. if if you were to do a fantasy draft right now of the Canucks roster, right? Ten people start making picks. Elias Pettersson would probably be the first pick. I'd be stunned if anyone else would first. And JT Cute, might be the maybe. Sure, I I would still assume Elias Petterson eighty percent of the time goes first overall, and JT might be fourth, third or fourth. But if you're just if I just asked you, hey, who's been the most productive player over the past eighty four or five games for mm-hmm. the Vancouver Canucks? Mm-hmm. JT Miller. And if you're someone like Bruce, who just, bottom line, like, what's the bottom line? If I'm throwing guys out over the boards, am I going to get a point? Am I going to get a goal? JT Miller's done that. Yep. So most productive and best aren't the same. No. But from someone's vantage point, it's easy to make that claim. To say, hey, he's been the best player since, or, since Bruce has been here.
1: Yes, especially for an offensively inclined coach. And for it it's just the the Miller stuff stands out because the way the game is played. Now and this season's maybe a bit of an outlier, as has been discussed a lot. The safe percentages are way down, scoring's up as high as it's been in fifteen years, it's 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 a big shift. JT Miller is in that elite tier. He's in the top percentile of like <laughs> brain dead mistakes mm-hmm. that have mostly been coached out of the game. You'll see Quinn Hughes plays so much that every so often there's a play that that doesn't go his way and you're you're not always thinking oh that this is a repeatable thing with Miller it's the optics I think for people but like you said Bick um for a coach who came into a situation that was a rough situation he was able to hang his hat on a guy who put
0: up a bunch of points and is still putting up points this season uh Kendall and Langley uh texting and by the way we're gonna do the Friday mailbag uh, still on Canuck Central, uh, on the other side. I know Dan and Satter are away, but you can send in questions as well, 650-650, I'll 650. Uh, we'll get to more on the other side. can be about whatever, the mailbag, uh, it's chaotic at times, so, so we'll do that on the other side. Uh, but do you think uh, Bruce is partially responsible for Pedersen's revival last year? Yes and no. So, in general... When you're as talented as Elias Pedersen, and players like that, they'll figure it out, okay? It will, that stretch from the beginning of the year to to mid-January, unfortunate it happens, you don't want to see that happen to star players, especially for that long. But when you're that talented, that motivated, you will overcome However, when, when Bruce was hired, we talked about, okay, what are the things he has to do? Step one for me was just provide stability so we can properly, both for the Canucks management and just for fans in general, so we can just provide some sort of accurate evaluation of this team. So he did that. Part two was get the superstars going again. Let's understand how quickly this can get turned around. If, if this team even has superstars... Or if they don't, okay, then this is a big picture long term rebuild. And step three was, hey, if you can make the playoffs, make the playoffs. Obviously step three doesn't happen, but he's he was the the man in charge when Elias Petterson flipped. So he does get some credit for that. But I, I generally would subscribe to the idea that a superstar is gonna be a superstar. No matter what's what someone does for them personally. Unless unless just like the joy of the game is gone and like whatever, I'm just here just to collect checks. But I never thought that about Lee Pettersson.
1: Oh, Peterson. the furthest thing from it. And you could feel confidence at the time in the track record, the numbers. Like, mm-hmm. there just never been a player who had put up those kind of numbers in their first three or four years in the league and then just fallen off the face of the earth. And yes, I know that there's probably a cynical part of the fan base with the Instagram stuff. And I, I just, I never put any stock into that. Uh, I'm I'm right there with you. Boudreaux probably gets some modicum of credit for being someone else than Travis green, (laughs) like not being Travis green. But I look at at what Patterson's done and just look at it this year, right? It doesn't matter who who he's playing with. Yes. There's been success with Kuzmenko. There's been success with Mikhaev, uh, but who's the one that's driving the bus to the point that a couple of weeks ago, we're talking about this guy should be taking on all the matchups. Like that's, that's not, that's not coaching. That's, that's
0: talent. That's superstar talent. There's just going to be down years, right? It it, it happens. It, it's basically saying like, well, Barry Trotz was there when OV went down to 33 goals, and then he shot up to 49. It was it was Trotz for both years, but is that a coaching thing? Did Trotz figure out how to 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 utilize Alex Ovechkin, or was that just a a down year for 33 goals for for Alex Ovechkin? I'm curious
1: about that actually in hockey because. I think the the poster example for that now is McDavid mm-hmm. in Edmonton and the idea that he needs to score less for them to be good. And this year he's on pace to have the most goals that he's scored ever. Now some of that has to do with the environment across the league, but they're they're okay, right? They're they're just okay as a team. And it's always it's the Steve Eiserman thing. Oh, when Steve Eiserman, well, Steve Eiserman was much older when he was, he was about twenty seven, I think, when he when it started to flip. Yeah, twenty seven, twenty eight. McDavid's not even there yet, so. That's that's one of those those things is kind of funny. Uh and certainly Patterson's already gone through that idea of and he hasn't had the, the, the huge goal seasons even McDavid. Like McDavid's on pace for fifty this year, he's never scored mm-hmm. fifty and the Ovechkin one was and that was and obviously Boudreaux is well aware of that with oh, he if he scores less then they'll be better. Yeah. And I I find it hard to reconcile. I know the narrative sounds good.
0: There are so many other pieces I think that, that go into that. Uh, Bik Nazar, Israel Fair here on Canucks Central. Uh, so we talked to Yannick about Luke Shan, and it's, it's become quite a topic this week of, of what to do. Uh, now, there's the pragmatic approach, obviously, from from the Canucks management point of view of they have to cash in on this asset. And if you want to bring Luke Shan back, I think you bring Luke Shan back in the summer. But it's important to get an asset, especially considering we're not talking about a fourth, fifth rounder here, right? It, it, it could be quite valuable, given that there aren't a lot of right-hand D-men to find in general, there's there's honestly about like 90 that play regular minutes. Forget solid contributor, has the ideals of, of the type of person you want in your locker room, very competitive, physical, very important in the playoffs, and just sensible player on the ice. Something that you can rely, rely upon come the tightest time of the year, the playoffs. And there's a lot of people that hear all those things and say, well, just retain the guy. The the baseline of, of this conversation to me does come down to, if you if you think you can bring him back in the summer, then you you absolutely have to do it. And to be honest, I would just do it anyways, just because the entire build of your team shouldn't rely upon a 30-plus-year-old depth demon. Correct. So, so you should just do it anyways. However... As an organization, do you approach this and say, let's just put it in Luke Shen's hands. You can go to him and say, do you want to stay here? And if you want to stay here prior to March 3rd, we'll sort something out. It might be at our number because we're doing you a solid here, not stringing this out here. But if you want to stay here, if it's so important for you to stay here, we like you. Let's just sort this out. Because this is technically win-win. Because if he's so important to you and you get to retain him, that's a positive for you. And if you take the decision out of his hands you say, hey, look, we're moving you no matter what, or we have to get an asset, that's a win for you too. But if you go to Luke Shen and say, do you want to stay, or do you want to go chance at another cup? You've got two, but if you want to go chance at another one, a couple of months away from the team, if you want to move, we'll facilitate a move for you. Do you put this decision in Luke Shen's hands? It's curious because I think
1: there's been a lot made of Luke Shen and the importance that he has I think, first and foremost, to Quinn Hughes, but then also more broadly to the culture of this team. And I line up with you in the idea that a veteran player like Luke Shen, who has been a tremendous story in Vancouver before Tampa, after Mm -hmm. like the whole thing is really one of the best stories uh, that we've seen in hockey in, in quite some time for a guy who was a high pick and, disappointed or had lots of expectations and on him. Discarded by the NHL. Yeah. It was and it was done. Harmon Dial wrote a, a piece recently at The Athletic that d- dug into that question about, do you think your career was over? For him to rebound and be a productive player, it's an amazing story. But the, the litmus test of how important he is to the culture of the organization, given the level mm-hmm. of where he's at, is to me a little bit Exaggerated. But I do think that flipping that scenario around and putting that question to him would be, I think, very informative for this management team, not just about what he is as an asset, as a player, what can we get for him? Can we rely on him next season and so on, but to really reset that culture in a way where if you, if we go back to the dark days, not that they're out of them <laughs> based on the way this season has played out, but what was something that we kept hearing? Lack of communication, no communication yeah. from management, not getting, you know, we just talked to Yannick Hansen, the Dan Hamhuis stuff, mm-hmm. um, the Alex Burroughs trade stuff. Are these guys going to get moved? How is that going to play out? You have nothing to lose with Luke Shen. To me, it looks like something that can be a win-win and that's, Regard like that's even if he doesn't come back. Yeah, that seems that to me that's the
0: cherry on top. But if you told me that, it I know we've had this discussion a lot. And six years ago, seven years ago, I was very much an advocate of yeah, you can trade guys and bring them back. It just it honestly it just doesn't happen. I'd have to really go look at how often that really happens of the idea of a, a a team can send a player away at the deadline and they bring them back. I know Tyler Mott's been a popular conversation. here. Right. It's like, oh, they should have done that. It, it's true. It, it's
1: much more realistic or it's it's much more realistic in a non-real uh, world. Yeah, it, it's very theoretical. I mean, the Ryan Smith one is the famous one Yeah, when he's traded from Edmonton and the idea is he's, of course, he's going to come back. And that doesn't happen. Um, I guess there's the the famous uh, is it Jeff Sanderson with the Canucks. So that was a trade though. It was like Brian Burke right. acquired him from Columbus, and then they traded him back at the end of the season. Yeah, <laughs> or like in the off season. But, but that it's so... that wasn't like a I, I, that was agreed upon. But not as a free agent. And I don't I don't think it's necessarily because what usually comes up is well a guy goes elsewhere and he sees what it's like somewhere else and he he decides that he wants to. Try something. Or or new.
0: usually it's just it's it's a financial thing,
1: right? I like, think that's usually the
0: factor number one. Like for Tyler Mott, there was an expectation, like they tried. But sure. there was an expectation like, hey, if I go to the summer, I think I can get a better deal than what you're offering me. I I genuinely think this is a rare occasion where Luke Shen wants to play here, wants to be in this area. And at a certain stage in his career where we're not talking about breaking the bank money. Like, I don't think he's going to go to free agency and get the, and this is going to be wild to say, but like the Eric Goodbranson. That's Branson what I was going to say, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't think he's going to get the Eric Goodbranson contract, <laughs> which was stunning this off season. Sure was. That Eric Goodbranson got $16 million. But even that, like, he was 29 years old. Mm-hmm. Or he's thirty right now, so he's gonna turn thirty one. Right. So that he like he's young he's he's younger than where Luke Shannon is. Yes. And I've looked at these contract comparables and like the biggest one is Michael Delzato two years at two million dollars. That's not break the bank money for teams right now. No. So even if Luke Shen shot for that, I think the Canucks would say, Yeah, okay, that's fine. We can bring you back at that. I don't think there's animosity here if this results in a trade. I just think, cool, thanks a lot for giving me a chance. We'll see you back in four months. I think there's a real chance that you could bring him back. So it's such a tough promise to make, though. No, hundred percent, because things change. Because you never know if if things get driven up on the free agent market.
1: Well, it just, but but you how you, much might you have a different think? circumstance? Even if we can sit here and make the list of every reason why the Canucks would be invested in bringing back Luke Shen, a lot can change during that time. Mm-hmm. And so, is and for a player who has been a great story as I but, said but that's why, why I'm a...
0: talking about opening that communication to say like what do you want sure that's that's in its own way a mini sales pitch that we're changing the way we treat players and obviously there's going to be the, that severed communication if you move them out but if in the back of the head the guy's like hey this team gave me a good turn they they set me up the way I wanted to on this departure I'll I'll hear them out come July 1. That's a little bit now, of now. That's of realistic. Power. Yeah, and that's
1: I think the way that organizations should handle these scenarios. Not a guarantee, not a promise. Here's what we'd like to do, and yeah, center the player mm-hmm. in that scenario. And hearing Yannick Hansen talk about it, uh, it it shows you that even for guys who are you know not the the upper echelon players, those realities of potentially being moved even if you want to go as mm-hmm. Yannick said you want okay I, I realize that winning with the Canucks in the short term probably wasn't going to happen I'm open to moving to a place like San Jose where they've got a legit team and I think I can have a role there and so on and we Luke Shen has experience with that with Tampa Bay it's more realistic but I yeah I, I think it's important for the Canucks moving forward here to at least entertain those conversations and, and change the perspective, the perception that's, that's out there about how players feel about leaving, how, how players feel about wanting to stay. And this is not, you know, JT Miller wants to, they mm-hmm. gave JT Miller the bag. It's this is, this is a different scenario. This is a little bit more to do with, Building culture and uh, respecting some of the players that, that aren't uh, the elite ones. Uh,
0: 650, 650, uh, this one coming in, unsigned. Shen was very different. Uh, no one's giving him uh, $2 million on more than one year. Uh, and, and yeah, that's the thing. It's even the break the bank contract, I think, would be somewhere in the range of, you know, four and a half, five million million total money. And, you know, if, if you're the crux, could you get a hometown discount at 4000000 Like million? We're not talking about. $16 million and you take eight. It's It's a lot smaller. So, certainly one that we'll keep an eye on if uh, the Canucks are trending that way towards March 3rd and they have to make these types of decisions. But I'm kind of an advocate of, of leave it up to the player. What do you want to do? We'll sort out the rest. Uh, you get to sort out the rest. Uh, we're, we're leaving the show up to you on the other side. Mailbag Friday. Get those texts in. 650 650 uh, if you missed the tweet uh, online. Uh, but uh, you can last chance for Questions to myself, Bic Nazar, and Israel Fair on the other side here on Connect Central on Google Podcasts and Sportsnet 650 through HD Radio 96.9 HD3.